0: Well, I think what's what's fun about the kind of meta level of a game within a game is that it serves kind of the same purpose as games do in our real world. Like they speak to yeah. you know the culture of, you know, of a of a place. What's what does the game entail? What are the materials involved in the game? What is there if there's like gambling or some element of that involved? Like what's the currency? Like there's a lot that you can kind of fast track with world building by Popping a game <laughs> into an existing game or an existing world and kind of exploring the, the motivations and the history behind that game.
1: to Worldcasting, where we discuss real, made-up things. I'm your host, Adam Bassett, UX and UI designer for Campfire Technology, game designer over at Smunchy Games, and sometimes I write or draw things too. Today, we're talking about integrating games into your setting or your setting into your games. Uh, joining me are BH Pierce and Sean, and from the storytelling collective, Ashley Warren. Would you all mind introducing yourselves? I'm uh, B. H. Pierce. I go
2: by uh, Hex on the magazine. Uh, I'm a self-published fantasy author, and uh, I hold an anthropology degree. So I... there's a piece of paper that says I know what I'm talking about when it comes to building cultures. And I've been uh, running. I've been a I've been a forever DM for about 15 years. So I've got some I've got some opinions.
3: Hi, I'm Sean. I'm a writer for the magazine, so you may have seen some of my articles or stories, and I'm also a college student, so I'm hoping to kind of bring the, ex well, expertise is a strong word, but the, the information I'm gathering uh, from doing economics and political science uh, to kind of the world-building sphere. Yeah.
0: I'm Ashley Warren. I'm the founder and director of the Storytelling Collective, formerly known as the RPG Writer Workshop. I'm a writer outside of that. Uh, for the past few years, most of my creative work has been in the tabletop space, uh, specifically Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I'm the co-author of Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden, Hecna, Legend Lore, numerous other projects in that space. Um, I also enjoy traditional forms of writing, like writing fiction, and I'm working on a graphic novel right now. So i basically enjoy dabbling in in all forms of storytelling and also working with fellow writers
1: awesome thank you all for joining us today it doesn't bode well that i completely forgot to say that i write for the magazine <laughs> <laughs> that's fine we're on the podcast yeah. the magazine doesn't exist here although it does and you should go read it yeah <laughs>
2: yes it's very good especially the ask us anything feature that's marvelous yeah,
3: truly that's, a work of a very sh- uh,
1: unbiased and true statement
0: it is good. I feel like since I don't currently write for the magazine, I'm allowed to say that it's really good with without
1: bias. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So I think just to kind of start us off here, we're going to get into what we talked about in the very beginning with, you know, gaming or uh, games being a part of the world building um, and vice versa. But I think what I want to do first, since we have uh, you here, Ashley, and you spend Uh, So much time, you know, working with uh, other authors who are creating these original adventures and stories for their tabletop campaigns, uh, either, you know, their first time going through or, you know, they're experienced and collaborating with each other and all that kind of stuff. I'm really interested in kind of hearing your take on that note of collaboration, specifically within... The tabletop, uh, what you say, tabletop writing sphere? Is that the right term?
0: Yeah, I think that that works. <laughs> uh, yeah, Because yeah. okay. tabletop includes so many different types of creators. I feel like my area of specialty is working with the writers. So I think that that is a fine descriptor of that.
1: Awesome. Yeah, so I guess just like for anyone who is interested in uh, writing for a tabletop adventure or... Uh, you know, a story that players can go through. What uh, What do you guys do at the Storytelling Collective to kind of help uh, bring in new people and to try and, like, encourage and facilitate, like, that collaboration that I, I know is so important when you are going on a, on a project like that?
0: Sure. So, I mean, by nature, tabletop role-playing games are collaborative. So, that, I mean, that's how you play them. That's how you enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there's a whole you know, section of, of solo adventures, but for the most part, it's a group activity. And so that also lends itself well to the writing process. And I think that's how a lot of folks get their start in writing for tabletop. I mean, I personally came to uh, D&D in, in kind of a roundabout way. I have a background in like traditional literature, but when I personally discovered D&D... I I felt like there was a lot that it built upon with uh, traditional literature. And what I enjoyed most about that was the collaborative element, because it's a story that you're telling with other people. And I think that writers are stronger when they do have collaborators, especially for games, because... There's so many different aspects of writing a tabletop game. It's the game design. It's the mechanics. It's the narrative design. It's the setting. Yeah. It's the atmosphere. And
1: everybody has a different idea of what is fun. So you have to like pr- try and like consider all those different point of views as well.
0: Exactly, and it's it's also it's difficult for one writer to do all of that well when you're first starting out. Because there's just, again, there's just so many elements to that. And each each aspect is its own specialty. And you could spend your entire writing career focusing on just one aspect of that. So something that we try to do through the storytelling collective is foster a sense of community and collaboration. That when you're first starting out, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to do everything well. It's mostly just an opportunity to delve into a new form of writing and have fun with that and to hopefully develop relationships with other people in the community who might have a specialty in an area that you don't. And so when you come together, you can each kind of take the part that you like about that process. Like I personally, what I love about tabletop is the the world building aspect, the narrative aspect, the atmosphere, and not so much the like nitty gritty mechanical stuff. It's just my brain doesn't really think that way very well. So I love when I can work with someone who's really talented and passionate about that piece. And then they can bring what's what's great about game design into you know something that's a little bit more narrative. And so I think when you can partner with people, you you just have better games all around. You can appeal to more players because your games are hitting different types of notes. And I just think it makes for a more enjoyable creation process too, when you're not making things in a silo, like in your own little bubble, like it, it's nice to have other creatives to bounce ideas off of in general. And I think that goes for any type of writing, uh, but especially in, in tabletop. So I think collaboration is kind of a core tenet of good tabletop design. I mean, there's plenty of people who make tabletop games hundred percent on their own. Even when I first started writing my own one-shot adventures, I did it totally by myself. I learned later on how much more fun it is (laughs) to do it with other people. Um, So we we hope to make that process you know fun and approachable because it's also it's a little daunting sometimes to partner with new people. Being creative can be very vulnerable and so a lot of that is having you know very just inclusive community building to make sure that people feel comfortable in sharing their ideas and asking for help and asking for feedback you know, learning how to accept feedback and criticism without taking it as like a personal affront to to you and who you are as a person. Like these are all things that mm-hmm. just take some learning. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. collaboration is important. That's why we're called the Storytelling Collective because we're all about making stories with each other.
1: That's awesome. I think one of the things that has always kind of stuck out to me as a difficult sort of point of entry for. I guess any creative um, and I guess especially so for all the reasons you've said with tabletop writing and design and I, I think that's kind of like knowing where to find people who are going to be willing to collaborate with mm-hmm. you and like to listen to your ideas and stuff and of course like there's a whole element of that that I'm kind of skipping over where if you want people to listen to you you have to listen to other people as well it's it's a two way street mm-hmm. um, but I think you know Finding places where that is maybe encouraged and expected can be difficult sometimes. So, like, I guess the the question here is, you know, within the community that you have with the storytelling collective, is that something that anyone can just kinda hop in and start you know meeting people and doing all that kind of stuff or are there like events that you schedule i'm not really sure how the whole structure works
0: sure it's a little bit of both we have active discord servers one specifically for rpg writing and then one that's for our other uh, programs that are in, with other areas of fiction like uh, short stories and, and poetry and things like that um, but i feel like those are a great place to start you can just hop in and start meeting people and reading their work We do run lots of programs throughout the year. We have our flagship program, which is the Write Your First Adventure Workshop, and that's designed for brand new aspiring tabletop writers. It's a very structured program, but also includes a community element where you get to... You know, write alongside other people who are at the same stage in their writing careers as you are, and that I really think that that's the most valuable element of that is not necessarily the curriculum that we put together, but just doing it alongside a bunch of other people because it's we kind of modeled it after like National Novel Writing Month, where everyone's kind of writing on the same schedule uh, with okay. with a similar goal. Although ours is a little bit more of a structured program, but we have kind of the same philosophy that it's very motivating to be creative alongside other people who are also being creative. And so we, we hope that with a bit of structure, but also, you know, having this open invitation, we can kind of meet both needs because it it is intimidating to just be like, Hey, come into our server that has like 2000 people in it and just, Say hi, it's like, well, that's not always a good starting point for a lot of people, yeah,, uh, so we try to have yeah. a little bit more direction there to you know onboard new writers and make them feel welcome and to really establish a supportive environment. We are very against competition as like a tenant of our community. we really want to encourage you know fruitful collaboration like it's even if you have the same idea as someone else, both people are going to, you know, explore that completely differently. And fellow creatives are there to help you. So it's, we, we try to really break down a lot of those kind of negative aspects of of some creative communities. And yeah, I mean, it's always an open invitation for people to to join. We do a lot of free programs throughout the year. We actually have a Flash Fiction February challenge coming up soon where people, you know, we give people a prompt and they can write, you know, just a short piece of flat, flash fiction every day. And so we try to do kind of a mix of, you know, actual like learning programs, but also just some freeform activities just to keep people inspired and motivated to create. And we kind of function as just, you know, community cheerleaders for, for writers, because it can be lonely when you're learning how to write something new you know, it can feel discouraging. And and we want to try to get people over those obstacles so that they can share their ideas with the world. Um, So hopefully, we're accomplishing those goals. But it's something that we're always working toward.
1: Well, I probably should have mentioned this before we started recording. But I actually recall, whenever the last, like, your first adventure program was, the guy who published my card game fray which we'll talk about later he went and checked it out and i think he signed up and went through it all and he came over to me one day and he was just like yeah man this is really fun like he's, he's just having a great time going through it and i, I think kind of like what you're saying just like being around people in that creative space kind of all working on creative projects it was very exciting for him so I've heard good things.
0: That's great. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, our we always try to focus on helping people develop a good creative process that works for them because that's really the key to all creative work it's it's not really always about being the most advanced like narrative designer like yes you could read books on theory and those things are important for sure but when you're just starting out it's really just about your own process and that process is different for every person and a good part of that process is having collaborators if you can if you can establish that early on in your writing career or hobby, then that will carry you through, you know, the more ambitious projects. Like a lot of the things that I've been able to do in the tabletop space are because they were collaborative efforts and not things that I could have done on my own. And so hopefully, just providing a starting point there will will encourage people to, to network and connect with people that kind of share their creative vision. But... Yeah, I mean, I think collaboration is always important. Sometimes it's undervalued in creative communities, so we try to make that the first step rather than an afterthought.
2: Yeah, when I used to run panels, I used to do anime convention panels in the before times. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things I'd always I did I did a panel called How to Finish a Story that usually did pretty well. And like the one thing I'd like one of the buttons I'd always pound was you need to know your process. Mm-hmm. That's the first step. The first step to becoming any kind of creator is you need to learn what makes you do good. Mm-hmm. What gets recently, words out. Mm-hmm.
1: I recently spoke with uh, somebody for an interview over at Campfire, Brent Lambert. And he was talking about how like your process is super important and all that stuff, like we're saying. Uh, but one thing that I thought was interesting he said, which I've done before but hadn't put too much thought into, was basically... He was saying that you should be experimenting, basically, whenever it makes sense to do so. So, like, oh, if yes. I, if I like, put together this short story, the next time I put a short story together, I might approach it the reverse way. So, like, if I planned it out really meticulously first, maybe I pants the next one, or I do some kind of hybrid, or... Maybe I, like, make a mood board of a whole bunch of images to kind of, like, set the mood and uh, inspire, you know, whatever words come next. And, and, you know, his whole thing was, like, you're not going to know what works and what doesn't until you try a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're pro- finding your process is super important. And I think a huge part of that, uh, which I previously hadn't given a whole lot of thought, is, you know, that process of experimentation and, like, intentionally trying different stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's kind of the most common question we get in our community is like, how do I know what my process is if I've never done it? And so part of that is, you know, providing like a model process of like, here's an example of how you could approach a project like this. It's not the only way. There's no one way to have a creative process mm-hmm. whatsoever. But here's kind of a potential toolkit that you can pull from. And our hope is that when people go through, you know, our programs that they take what they like but also what they don't like and then they change that and apply that to their own process and the more you can learn that for yourself the better it will be and plus creative processes they they change throughout your career like my creative process now is so different than it was you know 10 years ago and so it's not some static thing it, it will evolve as you learn more about your craft and then going back to one of your other points like what we've seen a lot in our community lately is people applying their knowledge of one form of writing to another form, another medium, which is something that's really exciting to us. And that's partly why we branched out a little bit beyond just being the RPG writer workshop. So like, for example, for our upcoming flash fiction challenge, a lot of people are eager to write some little short stories about their D&D campaigns and or writing, you know, character explorations using the flash fiction format. And so I think like what you were saying about experimenting with different things is vital for any writer. Um, like we do a poetry challenge every year that a lot of people are like, Ugh, poetry, like, I don't know anything about <laughs> poetry. But it's really fun to see them try it out because they end up applying a lot of what they learned exploring that medium to things like tabletop or more traditional fiction. So there's really it's it's a never ending journey to build your skill set as a writer. And I think the more mediums you can try out and, and play around with, like the better you'll you'll be and you never know which new mediums you might really enjoy.
2: It's interesting, especially when you're writing for different mediums, there are certain things that will that will transfer between them and things that won't. Mm-hmm. My, recently, I had a minor revelation in the way I, because the way I plan a D and D campaign and the way I plan out a novel are, are pretty much one and the same. But I realized that when you plan out a D, I, you know, this this is the this is the world. This is the story beats that are going to happen. This is the villain. You know, here are the heroes. But I realized that when I'm planning a D and D game, I don't plan character development at all because that just happens on its mm-hmm. own. And I was trying to apply that same logic to writing, which didn't work at all. It's like, oh, I actually have to plan out the character (laughs) development. It won't just happen because I don't have people doing that for me anymore.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's also what's fun about collaboration in tabletop is that yeah, you don't, you're not necessarily responsible for every aspect of a story the way that you are when you're writing something like a novel or something where that narrative arc, that character development is your responsibility as the author. And so it's not necessarily that any medium is easier than another because they all have their challenges. But I think that yes. writing for one improves the other. Like, I feel like my world building got way stronger after playing tabletop games and when I would revisit traditional fiction, it's like, oh, okay, now I can think a little bit more thoughtfully about a world because I've, you know, played in something a little bit more interactive and I can apply some of that philosophy to traditional fiction. So uh, there's just a lot of overlap there. But I I think that that's a good point. Like, yeah, when you're doing something in tabletop you have people to help you flesh out the story and certain things are not your responsibility at that point which is kind of freeing as a creator because you can sometimes focus on the things that you like more especially if world building is the thing that really excites you then I feel like tabletop is a great place to explore that
2: oh most definitely
3: yeah so I guess the way I see is like the difference between like a novel and kind of tabletop is to be very kind of philosophical about it is like, you go from being like a, a world building God, almost, you know, like you're the sole creator, everything stems from your vision to then when you're working with other people, it's like working with like a pantheon. Cause you know, everybody has their different skills. They bring to the table, their different areas of interest and suddenly like, it's a collaborative project, but it just becomes so much more because you have this wealth of skills to kind of direct. And if you do it really well, you get like a really cool project. Uh, That's not to say like you can't do really cool things solo either. They're kind of two interesting fields of their own, but just I think that's always something I find fascinating about collaboration. It's like when you come together, you can build something that you couldn't imagine because you have all these other people imagining things for you.
1: Yeah, and kind of one of the neat things that we picked up on that note from... One of the interviews that we did for the magazine, I think at the start of last year, we had Eleanor Farron and Luis Loza on from Paizo. And one of the things they talked about with their Lost Omens books, which are kind of like world building guides that go into you know, different discussions on historical heroes from the setting of Pathfinder. I think it's Galarian and you know various stuff like that they will always have, I think, at least a couple gameplay designers on the same team so that they can kind of like point at things and be like, oh, this like could reference this mechanic in that a player can use or, you know, various things like that. So like they're constantly in communication about how they can kind of intertwine those two aspects of the story and the game so yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying, Sean, about like, once you start working collaboratively, it is very much like everyone's bringing in some particular set of skills that, you know, then kind of become this one, hopefully, exciting project. On that note, uh, it's it's been a minute. We should probably move into chatting about games as a part of world building that sounds wise <laughs> <laughs> it's it's super fun to talk about like all the collaboration and stuff though it's always fun to hear other people's perspectives especially because like I mean kind of like we were saying it's so hard as a new writer to know where to go and how to do stuff so thank you for that but I think I'm just gonna start us off here with the whole games. Conversation. I'm just going to get the elephant in the room if you know me at all, which most of you probably don't. I'm just going to get that out of the way. So, I published a small card game called Frey, and it is based in the same setting as a tabletop game, which is coming out later this year. I'm not sure when this episode will launch. But I think it's coming out, like, quarter three or quarter four of 2022, the the game is. So the the little card game that I've made is already out. And it's kind of fun because, like, once the tabletop game comes out, people are going to start, like, being able to be playing the game tabletop. And then, like, if they go into a tavern, somebody might want to play cards against them to see if like the players win then they win like information from the person maybe uh, otherwise like maybe they have to pay the npc so there's there's been a couple of play tests and stuff where that's happened it's been very fun and kind of the flip side of that is like whenever we are designing a new expansion for frey i always sit down with one of the people who knows the setting really well and i'm like all right from a gameplay perspective this is what i want like this is the general vibe i'm going for what sort of characters would fit this what sort of like spells would fit this and it's i had a conversation the other day with someone we were talking about a new spell in an upcoming set and he was like well this is what it does in paths and how can we translate that into the card game fray so that like it fits within the card game but it references the tabletop game. So, like, what we came up with was the spell kind of gave you control over someone in tabletop and then in the card game. It, like, lets you move a card whether or not you own it into a different space. So, kind of, like, bringing in that element of control. So, yeah, it's just been a very fun project for me because it does have, like, there's a whole bunch of us that are collaborating on it with, like, the artwork and the world building aspect and like applying it to the mechanics or vice versa like sometimes i'll get told about a character from the tabletop game and i'm like all right well that person has to go in and we have to do an ability like this so yeah it's it's been this very interesting back and forth dynamic of you know they're both influencing one another kind of like how those folks from paizo i mentioned earlier were saying like they work directly with the game design team to bring in like elements of each i I realized there was no strong conclusion to that statement i just sort of felt like i'd been speaking too much (laughs) i
3: I have to say like i love the the idea of like having a tabletop game and then having the card game that's like exists in the world of the tabletop as its own fully fleshed out game It's just there's something about that that kind of nested game design that I, I find is really intriguing. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, part of part of it is a is a marketing thing because like there is a small group of people who already know about the tabletop. That one came first, and it was like in testing way before. So that kind of already had a little bit of an audience. And when I was you know, pitching it myself, like I barely knew the publisher. I had never published a game before. I was just some random kid who happened to volunteer at a world building magazine. you know that was kind of one of the final points that helped me sell it was basically like, well, what if we took this concept and applied it to like this thing that you already have with characters that people might already recognize and like sort of reimagined for this new design space so that that's that's been really cool well
0: I think what's what's fun about the kind of meta level of a game within a game is that it serves kind of the same purpose as games do in our real world. Like they speak to, you know, the culture of, you know, of a, of a place, what's, what does the game entail? What are the materials involved in the game? What is there, if there's like gambling or some element of that involved, like what's the currency? Like there's a lot that you can kind of fast track with world building by popping a game (laughs) into an existing game Mm. or an existing world. And kind of exploring the, the motivations and the history behind that game. And I think it's always fun when world building to have little like shortcuts into, a, you know, a settings, uh, you know, culture in that way. And it's, it's, it's also like it's especially fun in tabletop, which is by nature a game, <laughs> to have a game within that because you, know, you have to figure out like how do you adapt the mechanics of that to the in-game game and then I don't know it becomes this weird thought puzzle experiment yeah, <laughs> to figure sure. out how to do that like if you have I've played d games where there's a poker type game within that and it's like yep. are we going to play this out with dice are we going to actually play like a real hand of poker like you know what are the the stakes and the consequences so it's it's kind of a fun thing to to toss in and then explore like why is there Why is there a game here? Like, what does it mean? Um, Are people familiar with it? So there's just, there's a lot of fun questions you can kind of bring up for an original setting that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like, you don't have to make a whole original game within a game or a story. You could like modify an existing one. Like from A Song of Ice and Fire, you've got Savas, which is basically just fantasy chess. Mm -hmm. And, like, you don't have to know a whole lot about it for it to be impactful to the story. Like, it is there to show you that these characters are intelligent or uh, for, like, people to kind of do something while they're talking. Because, you know, one thing that I kind of rally against is sometimes in writing, especially, like, within prose and everything, you'll sometimes have, like, two characters who are talking, but they aren't, like, doing anything. They're just talking to one another it's always so much more compelling to me we were talking about this before the episode started recording it's always so much more interesting to me to have some kind of a thing happening and sometimes that's a game like it's a, it's a very small moment but from scrubs you have um, playing, <laughs> you have them you have jd and turk playing games all the time like hide the saltine and they'll like move rowdy around the apartment just to like Scare Elliot when she like comes out of the bathroom or something. And uh, like for those they'll... of you,
2: for those of you who don't know, Rowdy is a dog, <laughs> dog that has been taxidermied. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and I like... think one of the reasons why games like that are really helpful in um in 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 a tabletop concept, in a tabletop not concept, in tabletop or in a novel or any kind of uh, fiction is that it helps ground the people enjoying it in the world because when you you know if if like take scrubs for example you know if you're watching scrubs it's there's chances are you're not also a medical intern who knows like all the drama and stuff they're going through but you do know that you have played all of my medical
1: knowledge from scrubs
2: (laughs) oh dear (laughs) but you do you do know you do know about playing a stupid game with your friends so that helps you that helps you identify with the characters And in the same thing in a piece of fiction where you might be like fantasy or sci-fi, it's like, you know, you don't know what it's like to, you know, repair a steam valve on an intergalactic spaceship or whatnot. But so when the author describes that, it's like, you know, crazy and out of left field. But if, you know, these two characters sit down and play space chess, you're like, oh, hey, I've played space. I've played chess. I feel like I'm involved in this now. So it makes it more tactile in a way, almost more real.
3: Yeah. Like, um games are a great way to kind of abstract and kind of like, maybe abstract is the wrong word, but like take a complex feeling or concept and just simplify it to something that we can understand. Uh, Like there's an entire field of, I wouldn't call it economics per se, but kind of, I don't know what the proper term is, but like game theory exists as like an entire academic field of, let's take like interactions between people and gamify them because it just makes it so much easier to kind of understand what's going on. Um, so you're taking like things that are relevant to like real world like why is this person like why why are why can't we get like, farmers and the government to get on or something? and we're like making it into a game and we're saying with this like little equation like if X does y, then y happens and then you you make it into something kind of almost fun, uh, which if you ever study economics, you know, there's a desperate lack of fun. Um but yeah, like
1: uh
3: my if any of my professors find out, I'm sure I will be shot dead for saying that. But but yeah, it's like I mean they got they gotta know, right? Oh I, I I'd hope so. But but yeah, it's 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 like that games are just a great way to take complex complex arguments or ideals or just the plain old facts of living and kind of make them fun and easy to get across you know you can show who's winning an argument by who like checkmates the king in space or wizard chess or whatever and the reader goes oh i get who won this argument this complex thematic yeah yeah yeah
1: i haven't seen it myself but i have seen that famous scene words are difficult I've, i've seen the moment from Ted Lasso where he kind of just like nails that last bullseye in the dartboard amid a tense conversation with someone who uh, they're arguing. I I don't know the full context. Like I said, I I haven't actually seen the show yet. But it's a really good example, even like not knowing the full context, of how you can use a game as kind of like this external element to sort of show like who is winning an argument and uh, how are the characters reacting to something like as one person continues talking like he's getting more accurate and it's just like it's a really kind of good final punch now i think kind of the flip side almost that you could take this as well is really interesting i read a story by ted cheng in the in his collection stories of your lives and others which is the same collection that the movie arrival was based on one of those stories It's very good. I would recommend it, but basically one of the stories in there, uh, I don't remember all the details. It was a little while ago I read it, but there's a smart person, and he's getting smarter because science, and they don't really delve into it too, too much more than that, at least not in a memorable way, but it was really interesting seeing how this character becoming more intelligent kind of changed his psychology a little bit, and it made him want to, like, test that intelligence against anything he could find that could challenge it, because everything just started becoming so trivially trivially easy. And there was, like, this one mysterious person that had, like, undergone the same clinical trials that he did that made him so smart. And they, like, became engaged in this game of wits, where they were constantly trying to one-up each other. And it kind of escalated to the point where it became deadly at the end as i recall but um it was just this very interesting way that like they just became like so bored with reality that the two of them kind of engaged in this game against one another because they were the only fair match for each other
2: they should have just played hide the saltine
1: should have just played hide the saltine
0: (laughs) yeah i feel like games are such an easy way to establish like some semblance of tension both in well really in any sort of literary medium just going back to the scene that you referenced in ted lasso like that scene is so good because that show it has dramatic moments but for the most part it's just a really like earnest show and so when he is successful at playing darts like it's this very like disarming moment because you think oh he's just like kind of being a goober and then he nails it (laughs) and it's like it's so satisfying because of that tone shift but the, it is a it is a pretty tense scene on an otherwise, you know, enjoyable. I wouldn't necessarily say lighthearted show because it has some like it explores some darker themes. But just like the tension in that moment is very satisfying. And there's another show that I'm thinking of on Amazon. It's called uh, Patriot. I think it's a little bit more of an obscure show. But there's this scene where they're playing Rochambeau, um, like rock, paper, scissors. And it's like it's one of the most tense scenes I've ever seen on television and it's like it's so hard to explain until you're like watching it but it's amazing how much is writing on this like rock paper scissors game which is you know not really a game there's not a whole lot to it it's purely guesswork but it's just amazing like how much buildup goes into these like cathartic moments of exploring a game on on screen or in fiction somehow so and it doesn't even need to be like a complicated game it's just like understanding that there are some stakes and consequences involved make it satisfying for the viewer because uh, you don't know what's going to happen necessarily but i i appreciate the ted lasso example because it's just that
1: scene <laughs> i'm glad someone here has seen that because <laughs> i felt like i was not doing it justice Thank yeah you.
0: it's it's very satisfying uh,
2: you, know, you know speaking of rock paper scissors that it the second you brought that up it made me it made me think back to a whole bunch of jokes i've seen in media about rock paper scissors mm-hmm. And like just the general spread of that, it it shows just how useful like a like a uh oh, excuse me. It shows just how useful like a really simple game can be for establishing things. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the joke that came to mind is like is the classic Simpsons one. Uh, poor predictable Bart, he always chooses rock. <laughs> <laughs> good old rock. But um I've seen <laughs> versions of um of like rock, paper, scissors done, like to show the world. I think like Avatar has like Earth fire, and water or something but it it goes as an example of how this little like such a little thing can just tell so much about the world about characters and it can you know really help the audience feel like they're really engaged
1: yeah i think a big takeaway for all this uh is basically the idea that like the game that you use in your prose in your tabletop adventure whatever it is like it doesn't have to be complex it probably shouldn't be we kind of we kind of went like the 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 game that we made Fright, it's very simple it's basically like tic tac toe but with some magic the gathering effects <laughs> but like that is still way more complicated than like something somebody like more universally already knows like chess and darts and uh hiding saltines so your friends can't find them easily like those are all things that don't have to be necessarily explained very much and i think that's part of why the tension in those scenes works so well is because like we very naturally understand how the game is played and like we're not spending time thinking about the rules we're spending time thinking about like what the stakes Mm -hmm. are yeah And also, games can become really an inherent part
2: of the setting you're telling it in. It's like when you think of how much, think of like how closely entwined like playing card metaphors are with a Wild West setting. Yeah. You know, like your Dead Man's Hand. You know, your Ace of of Spades. You know, all that, all that sort of thing. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So it's um if you if you you know do your research if not if you do your research if you do your world building right and like and it's like slide it in you know you can have someone show up with like you know a suit of it your own playing cards and the and the audience or your players will go like oh
1: if you're yeah. like and, and it's also important to keep in mind as well like the basic set of playing cards that we know today was not always the basic set of playing cards there was some time for that to sort of take hold on the world so like what was the world like in a time before that was solidified like if you went from like france to germany were there two whole different sets of cards or would like the french set be like this luxury over in germany or something i don't know but like you know i think when you're talking about the world building implications of all this just like looking at our own history uh, like with so many other subjects it's really easy to find examples of like how the things that we take for granted today you know there was a time before everything was like standardized and yeah in the future there's going to be you know probably some new versions that come up i I don't know what those are going to be obviously but like you know they're going to take on the existing formats and probably modify them a little bit like maybe maybe not chess or go but i'm sure something (laughs) (laughs) like
3: yeah like to just to build on that point we have so many versions of football running around in the modern day. You know, you've got American football, you've got soccer, you've got like Gaelic football. Uh, Yes. I need to get the obligatory. I'm Irish bit in here.
2: Oh, put it, cross (laughs) it off on your bingo cards, everyone.
3: And you've got like, I guess like rugby as well. Like I know that probably doesn't count as football, but like, it's a similar kind of game, but then like to go back to that whole point about cards nowadays, you know, if you pull out like a, a tarot deck, Like, it's all very mystical. Like, that's the association. But you go back to the beginning of that, and it was just a card game that ended up picking up these kind of magical connotations and, like, became involved in, like, the occult. Even though when it was, like, I guess first introduced to Europe, it was just a card game. You know, people were just playing it for fun, which I think is really interesting, is that you can kind of, games can take on a life of their own and become something more than a game, you know?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I didn't know that. That's really cool, but it makes sense. Like whatever a game's meaning is is decided by the culture, and if like the culture changes, of course the meaning behind something is gonna change too.
2: You know. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like to point out that as like as we're recording as of like the recording right now, we're about forty-five minutes in and we've just mentioned sports for the first time in this episode about games.
3: Does say does it does that say something about us? Uh <laughs>
0: I think so.
1: I'd like to say I was getting there, but probably <laughs> <I> not. <didn't. laughs> but I mean, sports are a huge part of this too. Like, we should probably mention the Olympics. Like, that is a huge deal. It has been a huge deal for ages. And you know, in all likelihood, even even if it's not like as big as it is uh, in our time or in our history, like the people in your setting are probably also going to want to compete. And how are they doing that? Is it like on what scale? Is it just like regional, small, like groups of people, uh, you know, who kind of self-organize? Or is it like the Olympics where you have people from all over the world coming together to, you know, kind of test their mettle? Um, and, you know, once you start thinking about uh, fiction, you know, how do dragons change the events? How do hoverboards change you know what is possible uh do the old events go away or do you have like a skateboarding event with the hoverboarding event you know um, there's a lot of different questions to ask about that and like you don't have to be super uh you know in tuned with the Olympics or sports or any of that kind of stuff to just be asking questions like this and, uh, you know, throwing some answers around.
2: Yeah. You know, now that, now that I think about it, the Olympics sounds like a really blatant plot device.
1: Right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, uh, for me, one of my guilty pleasure tropes as both a writer and, just an enjoyer of media is like an arena battle or some sort of like (laughs) scene like that um, in any sort of medium, because it's such a great way to toss characters into a challenging situation and see how they fare. Um, It's also fun to play in both like tabletop or video games. Like anytime there's like an arena battle, I just get so hyped on that. It's not always... Like, I feel like there's mm-hmm. there's like a a misconception that it's not very like narratively driven. Like, oh, like if you have PvP in your DD game, it might not feel very narrative, but you can add so many elements to that and give people motivations for how they plan to approach that and what are the rules of the arena? Like, do people play dirty? Like, is it like an underground fight club? Or is it like this really established thing like it was in the Roman Empire where that was like the, the kind of, a you know, upper class thing to do is go to the, the Coliseum and watch people fight to the death. And so there's so many easy elements that you can adjust there. Like it's kind of an easy thing to pop into a story, um, especially like an epic story of any genre, um, because it just it gives you a lot to play with. And people kind of recognize what it means when you have some sort of arena, like, uh oh, like there's some tension there when characters are going into that. Are they strong characters? Are are they weak characters? Are they going to be challenged in some way? And so I think that, um, you know, that holds true for the real world as well. Like we just as humans seem to enjoy that kind of activity. And it's it coincides very closely with our you know, human love of storytelling, like to me, like games and, and storytelling are like inextricably linked as part of the human experience. Um, and yeah, the Olympics are an obvious, you know, way that we've seen that throughout history. Um, but yeah, I think for storytellers, like if you don't know, if you, if you need like a dramatic element in your story and it kind of can work, like toss in some sort of, uh, you know, fight club or <laughs> fighting pit or arena and just see what happens. <laughs> Cause there's a lot that you can do with that. And it's really fun
1: yeah for sure i i will throw a mention out real quick um after we spoke with him uh last season on the podcast i went and read uh kings of the wild by nicholas eames and that has a whole like it's a major plot point the arena battles that they have there the whole part of like the whole uh idea of the story in some respect is like Uh, these wandering kind of mercenary bands used to go out into the forest and hunt uh, terrifying creatures there. And now the society has kind of changed. There's fewer of them out there. So now they're like being captured and brought into the cities to then go into an arena and be fought there so people can watch. And it's just, it's this very cool like uh, representation of the society changing in this world. Uh, It's very like, it invokes a lot of the sort of uh changing of the times that eames is trying to get across because like so much of it is inspired by the music industry changing um and it's it's just like a it's a really cool thing that he does that like still is this epic fantasy moment when like everybody is fighting in this uh coliseum suspended by chains over this river and there's like this uh giant beast that's been loosed out and like you can see that its wings have been clipped so it can't fly away and it has to fight in the arena and it's just it's uh the stakes are established it's it's a great it's good uh that's it
3: it's good (laughs) kings of the wild (laughs) is is fantastic i love that series so much um
1: I'm, I'm excited to read the sequel. I haven't quite gotten to it yet, but I, I've ordered it. It's on the way.
3: Oh, yeah. It, it does kind of. It has a, like a similar vibe to it, but again, it, it invokes that whole like changing of the times, which I, I think is really interesting. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, and like the the thing about like games is, or like arenas and that is like it's not just about the people playing them. It's also about the people around them, which is really cool. Like. Um, I think it was in ancient Rome and kind of like the Eastern Roman Empire, like chariot races were a massive deal. And they had these like factions in society, like the greens and the blues and the whites and the reds. And like whoever won like a race, like that could like set off a riot. Like they had riots over who won the chariot race that could determine the fate of the empire. You know, like, I, I think that's like, yeah.
1: I mean, we have that in America yeah. f- football too. Oh so. yeah. And, and, and <laughs> soccer. who like so. the and, Nika, and... right? <laughs>
2: <It's>... Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's like fascinating to me, like that games by their very nature, you know, then like you can play them one of one or like in a small group, but they, they kind of attract attention. Um, and I, I think like uh, uh, for all, like the many sins of the author, I think that's one of the, the interesting things about Quidditch is um like that it as a concept like as a game, you know like if you lay out all the rules, it makes absolutely no sense. You know, everybody else is irrelevant. you just need to catch the little golden ball and you win. But like from an investment point of view, like that's perfect because you can focus on the two main characters um, you know, like the bad guy is going to get the snitch, oh no, Harry's gonna get it, whatever. And it creates this really interesting dynamic for the reader and kind of like the audience where there's the game going on below, down below. And that's important, you know, that can have an effect or like theoretically. But it's really just about like the, the main character and like everyone's watching them. Um, and then it kind of, you toss in all like the narrative, like people continually trying to assassinate Harry, whether they want to do it like intentionally or just through incompetence, you know, it keeps happening. Uh, and you get like this really yeah. interesting um dynamic uh and then to continue this rant far longer than it should go on um the the, (laughs) they end up introducing like the world cups and Mm -hmm. like you know they start off the fourth book and they all go to the world cups and it's like a really nice moment because everybody knows everybody knows quidditch by this point and they're like wow what a wholesome event and oh god the terrorists have attacked and it's awful but it's just like um yeah, I have to mention the World Cups because Ireland wins it, and that's the only reason I'm bringing it up. No, I, I have other reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like it's like fascinating to me because like the game becomes something beyond just a simple game. It becomes like a narrative. Like it's almost like a safety net, you know? Like this is something that happens every book. It's really comforting. So we're going to go to a big event and we're going to have a nice, fun opening, and then it like subverts it because you've been sucked into what quidditch is and what it means even with all the like again blatant assassination attempts that really should be watched when you have minors playing dangerous games but uh yeah it's i just think that's fascinating like that the game moves beyond just being between the two characters and it kind of becomes this almost um parasocial is that the right word i don't know but uh it's, it just becomes this bigger connection between them all which i think mm-hmm. is really fascinating
2: And it really helps illustrate the concept that having like a game in there can help your can help an audience or players feel more connected to the world because, you know, they and that's that's really like that's one of the reasons why the whole magic school genre does really well. Because, you know, none of us, I don't think any of us are out there doing magic, but we've all had to sit through a really, really boring lecture that we don't want to be at. Mm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't remind me. So my biggest that... life regret is not getting some mysterious invitation to a magical school. You know, someday. <laughs> What's that about?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how those usually go. I'm think I'm kind of happy that I just went to my local high school, and not like you know the faraway academy where you know the headmaster wanted my blood. True. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Details. I don't know. Still sounds fun to me.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. If you're gonna get it screwed out of like. All your life savings, you might as well like get a chance to also lose your immortal soul. You know, you gotta make, you gotta up the stakes here, at college. It's not, it's not going well enough. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but to circle, uh, but to circle back, um, uh, again, I've I've already talked about how like some things about the translation of um, some things in one particular medium or genre to another. I actually have a tournament art coming up in the D and D game I'm running right mm-hmm. now. Um, the the festival of blades, uh, to be completely <laughs> stereotypical and over the top. but and that's um, a fun then, one. Oh yeah. But if I were, um, and it's great because I'm bringing I'm bringing in like um, I'm bringing in characters that have been like hinted at, uh, like my um, like one of my players who's playing an artificer, like their rival just showed up with a machine and they're on one team and they're like, oh man, we got to beat him. So it's it's helping draw them in because I'm I'm. I'm like seeding, you know, plot points like, oh, another goblin clan just showed up. Maybe this goblin clan will know about where this goblin player's family is. Oh, but you'll have to beat the eater clan in the arena. It, um, it, it gives a lot of, it gives a, it, there's a lot of options there, but just to give out some d DM, some DMing advice, I talked this out extensively with my group first because I know that if I was just doing like one fight right after the other through the arena, it could get pretty boring. So I asked like, hey or, are... oh, um, I, I asked them like, hey, are you guys um, do you guys do you guys want to do this? I mean, how many rounds do you think you will be willing to go? So we had a conversation about it. I didn't just I didn't just spring it on them, but that's um, that's an important thing to consider when you're doing tabletop game. Uh, tabletop gaming is a DM you need to bring your players into a conversation mm-hmm. like this yeah whereas if I were just writing it I could make it as exciting as I wanted and I could just do whatever my whatever I want because the audience doesn't get a say
0: yeah for sure <sighs> yeah it's one of
2: the nice things about writing
0: yeah I was just gonna say that I feel yeah. like um, sometimes having those kinds of things in your game can affect like the pacing of a session or things like that so it's good to communicate with your players about incorporating that um, usually I think players are our our game no pun intended (laughs) um but i mean (laughs) always good practice to be transparent about some of those things with with players just to make sure everyone wants to play a game like that
1: for sure um all right so i think we are nearing the end of this episode i know i'm upset too uh but we are going to do some final thoughts Uh, whatever we didn't get a chance to discuss, or if you want to elaborate on something, um, let's go ahead and start with Ashley and we'll just kind of go through, give a few, uh, yeah. Final thoughts on the topic.
0: Sure. I mean, I just, I think this is such an enjoyable topic and something that we teach in one of our workshops is, um, you know, the power of using existing tropes, um, to not necessarily reinvent the wheel in every new story that you're telling. And so I think if you can get a lot of mileage out of including games into your stories, um, that's just a fun way to experiment with all the things that we've discussed here, like, you know, um, you know, building tension and, uh, challenging your characters regardless of the medium you're working in. And so I think that, uh, you know, games, they serve of, uh, a purpose in world building, and I think it's fun to experiment with that. Um, so, uh, if you want more of my <laughs> articulate thoughts on these kinds of things, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ashley NH Warren. Sometimes I delve into random threads about things like this. Um, and if you want to, you know, ramp up your writing game this year in 2022, you can join us at the Storytelling Collective. Like I mentioned, we have an upcoming writing challenge, uh, Flash Fiction February. It's totally free. It'll be lots of fun. It's a good way to just knock out some words next month uh, without overthinking it. Um, And we have a lot of great programs coming up this year, uh, tabletop and uh, screenwriting and video games and all sorts of creative mediums. So um, that's, that's me and where you can find me.
1: I'm, I'm gonna interject real quick. Um, this is not gonna be out in time for the February. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, it, we're we're all uh, volunteer here, so it takes some time to put everything together uh, and all that. I think I said this in another episode, so I won't go into it again.
0: I mean, that's fine. I mean, it's the same point still stands that you just go to the website and see what we're doing and hop into whatever's currently happening. So that's fine with me.
1: Yeah. Go go check out Storytelling Collective if you like storytelling and you want to do storytelling. Yes, and they're going to have something. Always,
0: going. we have something pretty much every month this year, <laughs> uh, so there's plenty to do. And if you want to do flash fiction when it's not February, you can do that at any time of the year because there will be a channel in our Discord server for that. So awesome!
1: Thank you.
3: Yeah. Um, so I guess final thoughts wise, I just kind of re- re- reiterate that point uh, about um games kind of being more than just the people in them uh that they're kind of they can take on a much larger kind of role in your world um and also i guess that you could say they can be affected by uh different things outside that can kind of shape them you know uh i know um i think it's the the esports scene uh for like starcraft 2 um i'm showing off my nerdage here um they have a huge issue or, or like there's a huge issue where um because so many of the top players are south korean when they ca- get called up for mandatory military service they kind of just disappear from the scene which i think like that's you know and that has a huge in, impact on kind of how the scene works and the rising stars so i think like look for examples of that of how the world can kind of interact with your games um, and kind of change them into something new uh, i think that's i guess my point would be you know games are more than just some of their parts. Um Yeah, so if you're at all interested in following me, um I'd say look for the Twitter account Quirr Bon or Von. You're probably not gonna find that because of the spelling. But it's it's in the description. Grand.
1: It's gonna be in the description. <laughs> yeah, because
3: <laughs> I am I'm fully aware that Irish is a, a nonsense language if you speak if you don't speak it. Uh so yeah. Look at the description, and you'll be able to find me. Uh, yeah, I occasionally post snippets of writing, or uh, yeah, that's about it at the moment. But hopefully, more will come. So yeah, thanks for listening to me.
2: So I've pro- I've probably said this before on other on other podcast episodes. So it might wind up on the bingo card. But the key to making a, a world that either your players or your audience will enjoy and feel part of is making it. Feel real, making it feel tactile, making it feel like, making it feel familiar, and games are a good way to do that. Uh, we discussed this earlier on in the episode, but you know, think of how many people you know who, who part of their identity is what what sports team they root for, who um who might you know love playing a certain game, uh, may uh who love me, who may love playing a certain game, like you know, like poker or or chess, or, you know, and, and what that seems to say about them. Setting up things like that in your world will help your audience feel um, like they could be part of it, because they know what it's like to play chess or support a sports team, whereas other aspects of your fantasy universe they might not be quite so familiar with. Uh, so in the service of making your, your setting, your world, or whatever you're going to call it, feel real, uh, let the people play games. I I mean, if you're, if you're a terrible DM or, uh, if you're a cruel DM or a cruel author, then at least give them some fun things to do in universe while you're tormenting them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and, um, you you can, can, you can find my books. Uh, That's right. I have to plug myself. Yeah, Plug yourself. Yes. Um, so you can find, I've written a fantasy novella, uh, series, uh, a fantasy novella trilogy called the Atelva Chronicles that can be found on Amazon. And I've also written a full length Flintlock fantasy story called the Rosine rising. Um, I don't quite think there are any games in it, but I rather think that I like to think they're rather nice
1: I mean, there's political uh, games.
2: Uh, yeah, there's political games, <laughs> but, uh, but we have too much of that in the real world. So I don't think people will quite enjoy it for that much. No, um, it's, Adam it's,
1: was... it's fun because it's uh Flintlock fantasy. Yeah. So everything Adam, is more fun there.
2: Adam was one of my editors for Rosine Rising, so he likes to talk it up whenever he can. Um, well, and you because can, it's good. <laughs> and you can also find me on um, Twitter at bhpierce203.
1: Cool. Uh, thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to have these kinds of conversations and to bring in some new perspectives and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I guess for my spiel here... Uh, I want to kind of reiterate something similar to what uh, Hex said, uh, how basically, like, when we're talking about putting games in these situations, generally speaking, they are simple. They're easy to communicate and to understand so that we can focus on the tension on the character development on the rivalries you know whatever the case may be so don't feel like if we're if you're deciding like i should put a game in my setting don't feel like it has to be a very complex one like even the like physical card game that i made with Smunchy games like i mean you heard my description earlier it's tic-tac-toe with magic the gathering card effects um so like like the game itself like it takes some figuring out and some strategy and like you have to figure out like where to place the cards because there's like a whole zone control thing going on uh there's like a hand management thing because you don't just naturally draw new cards um so like there's a lot of elements to juggle but like at its core the way you win is pretty much very similar to like placing pieces in tic-tac-toe you just have to have like more of them um and then you know the effects if you're at all familiar with some of the other uh, popular card games out there, it's like negate a spell or draw a card. Um, like, there's more interesting ones, obviously, but like, they are intended to be easy to understand. Like, I have a personal rule not to have any card text go longer than four lines. Um, so yeah, like, these are not supposed to be complicated things it's just an aspect of world building that I think is sometimes overlooked and really should be a part of it more often. And, you know, like we've talked about, you can use the world building to influence the way that the game is or has changed and vice versa. The way the game is, could influence uh, society cause riots when someone loses all that kind of stuff. Um, So yeah, just give it some thought. See if there's a scene where it makes sense to include this or a character who maybe should be a fan of something. And, you know, give it a shot. If it doesn't work, you can always edit it. Um, That's all I got. Thank you for listening. Uh, You can follow me, Adam C. Bassett, on Twitter. All the links are in the description. Check out the magazine. We are accepting uh, volunteers for editing and writing and all that kind of stuff. by now, there might even be, there's going to be a new issue coming soon by the time this comes out. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah, that's it. End of the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for joining here. You've been listening to the Worldcasting Podcast, an affiliate production of World Building Magazine. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can check out our website at worldbuildingmagazine.com, where you can also find links to all of our social media and our Discord server. This episode was edited by Adam Bassett and Sean Gooding.